It's good to be with you all today. We're going to be in uh, several places in the Word today as we're discussing the topic of deacons, church deacons. I don't know when the last time you ever heard a sermon on the topic of deacons in the church was. I'm not certain I've ever heard one, but um, we're going to give one today. And uh, that's because we're spending this month talking about the church and the importance of the church and the function of the church and, and how the church works together, etc. And so uh, we uh, discussed elders last week. We're going to discuss deacons this week. And uh, there really are um, two main passages that we're going to look at. The first one is in Acts chapter 6. So take your Bible and go to Acts 6. And the other one, if you want to turn there and keep your thumb in it, is First uh, Timothy chapter 3. I want to read to us right now from Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as a congregation this morning and we pause to worship you, to give honor to your name, recognize who you are, that you are the creator and the sustainer, that we get to draw our next breath because you sustain us. The laws of physics work because you sustain them. And you are our Redeemer. That you sent your Son, not just to love us in some vague way, but to pay the penalty for our sin, to render obedience where we've not, to give his own life for us. So that we, by faith in Christ, get to have peace with you through Jesus. We worship you and we praise you. And Father, we praise you as well for the gifts that you've given to the, the body of Christ, to the church. And today we will discuss deacons, the servants of you, that you've put in our midst to care for practical needs. 
Thank you for your mercy towards us. Thank you for your gifts to us. Deacons are some of those gifts. As we turn to your word, I pray that you would help us to engage where we are here, that our minds would not wander, that we would be able to focus on what you have, that you would do your work in our hearts. We confess, Father, that uh, we have sinned, that we have not loved you as we ought, that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We confess that as sin. And we pray for forgiveness in Christ. And we rejoice that in Christ we have full forgiveness. We stand before you not because we have a good track record, but because of Christ. We relate to one another, not based upon a good track record, but based upon Christ. Father, thank you. Bless us now and speak to us from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians and the Christian church have a priority scale that we live according to. And in some ways, in many ways, it's very different from that of the world around us. It's unique to the Christian church. And so I want to ask a question to start our conversation today. How close to the top of that list do you think caring for the physical and material needs of those within the church ought to be? That's the question for today. That's what we will be discussing is where the place of physical and material needs within the church fit. Where are they in the priority list? Where are they in God's priority list? And where ought they to be in our priority list? Well, I read already from Acts chapter 6, and that's because we can see practically in the life of the early church how they valued things, what things were important to them, what they looked after, what they were, were concerned about. And so if you turn back to Acts chapter 2, you see the beginning of Acts chapter 2 is where you've got Pentecost happening and then you've got Peter's great sermon at Pentecost. He preaches the gospel and many, many come to Christ and, and the numbers of the disciples swell greatly. And in the end of Acts chapter 2 there in verses 42 and following, we saw how they interacted together, how they spent time together, how they focused on these various things. And, and what I want us to notice is in verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So here was this brand new church and... There was a, a great degree of poverty going on and, and, uh, and what was happening within this new church is that those who had property to sell might sell their property and they would give their property to take care of the needs of the poor, that they were taking care of one another in that way. Well, you might think, yeah, that's, a, that's an unusual circumstance, an unusual event. But if you turn to Acts chapter 4, we have the story continue of the growth of this new church and what they invested in and what they valued and what they looked after. And I want you to see in chapter 4 and verse 34, talking about this church, this growing church with all of the demands, with all of uh, the new life there and, and all of these people. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were Owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds and 
of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So you see that even now, which some time has passed from chapter 2, not a lot, but in chapter 4, you see a great emphasis upon caring for one another's needs, practical, physical needs. And so this is a, apparently a great need and a great value of the early church for them to meet this need. Well, that's chapter 2 and, and on into chapter 4. And then, of course, the beginning of chapter 5, what's that story there? That's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And they owned a piece of land and they sold the piece of land and then they, they lied to the church about what they had sold it for because they wanted to keep some for themselves. And so they, they tell the apostles, they tell the church, yeah, we sold it for this much when in actuality they had sold it for more than that. And of course, we know how that story goes that actually Ananias and Sapphira both end up dying over this thing, that they have lied to God. They have lied to the Holy Spirit. They've lied to the church. Was not this property theirs? Couldn't they have uh, kept it aside? Couldn't they have said, hey, we sold it for this much money and we want to give this much to the church? The church would have been happy with that. But instead they lied about having sold it for less and then they gave that lesser amount and they both end up losing their lives. Well, that's a terrible story. That's startling, right? But what I want to draw from it is that even into chapter 5, you have a great concern on behalf of the church to take care of the physical needs of others in the church. And not only a great concern of the church, but also the Spirit of God Himself, that He was concerned to take care of them. And so just that very brief sprint through the early chapters of, of the book of Acts, we can see there's a great emphasis upon practical needs and meeting the practical needs of one another. The church would sell things, they would sacrifice things, they would do things to take care of one another. And into that context, we come across the idea of deacons, of the deacons. I read through the first uh, verses there in Acts chapter 6 where we have this situation arise where there's a distribution to the needy that the widows were receiving gifts from the church that they needed. Uh, they didn't have their own income. They were widows indeed. They were left on their own. They had no one to care for them. And so the church would, would, would distribute food to them day by day. But they were taking care of one another in that way. And of course, a particular dispute arose. And so the early church decided, let's, let's identify certain people to take care of that very important need to, to distribute evenly and fairly and in the way that ought to be done to those who were in need. And so they appoint the deacons. And in that context, it's a very brief statement of what they should do. But I want us to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we spent some time looking at the elders in that context last week. And Paul continues on giving the qualifications, giving a little bit more information about these deacons and the role of the deacon. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first 
Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So those are the two main passages that talk about deacons in the New Testament and, and what role they played and what they were like, etc. And so you see your outline that you've got in your bulletin there. The first question we're asking is, what are deacons? What are deacons? Well, first of all, they're a, a basic ministry of the church. They're a foundational even ministry of the church. I read in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 last week where Paul starts that letter and says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. He only gives two offices. You've got the saints, the body, the believers, and within that body you've got the overseers, the elders, and you've got the deacons. And so you can see that really there are only a couple of offices mentioned prescribed for the church in the New Testament, and deacons is, uh, will be one of those. And so already we can see, turning back to the book of Acts, we're going to return to Timothy in a bit, but turning back to the book of Acts, you can see that even early on, from the earliest days, they saw the need for particular people who were of a particular character, with a particular skill set to come and minister the practical and physical needs of caring for the poor in the early church. And so they identify the deacons. They're a basic ministry of the church, but we see also that they're a vital ministry of the church. They're not just uh, an afterthought. Back in Acts chapter 6, you had this situation of great poverty. And particularly in a situation of great poverty, a woman who is a widow and has no children to take care of her, has no husband anymore to take care of her, who is on her own, also has no way to make her own living. She's got no way to feed herself. And so in that context, you've got the early church who was distributing food to these people, providing for these widows' needs. Well, a, a problem arose, right? You can see how if you've got the extreme poor in your midst who won't have food if you don't give them food, how as Christians we are to give them food. And so in this situation, you've got these widows and, and of course, a, a problem arose where the Hellenists, that is the, the Greek-speaking Jews in the area, uh, arose against the Hebrews. So you've got the, the Greek speakers who were from the diaspora and they, they had a different culture. And then you've got the Hebrews. They're, they're all Jewish, but, uh, but they've got different cultures and they have different languages. And, and those who are distributing the food were giving preference to one group over another group. They were saying, well, we, uh, we like the Hebrew widows best we like uh, their culture. We're familiar with them. And so, yeah, I, I keep forgetting about the, the Greek-speaking widows, and we don't really care for them as much. We kind of forget them. And so, of course, there arose a dispute. There was a problem within the early church. 
Yeah, it's great that you're giving out food. It's great that you're helping financially, that you're providing, but you're doing so in in a very uh, odd way where you're giving preference to one group over another group, and we need to fix this. And so you can see that it really is a problem that needs to be resolved because you, you can't not feed your widows. You must feed them. But you also don't want to show some weird kind of preference for one group over another group based upon language or culture or something like that. You need to do it well. And so they wanted to appoint someone to watch out for this, someone to care for this, someone to give a special eye to it. Well, you think, I mean, there were already apostles. There were 12 of them, right? And they were all right there. No one had even left town yet. They were all together. Why not just have the 12, you know, assign that to Andrew and Philip? I don't know. Like pick two, you know, pick, pick five, pick six of them to do that. Well, there's a, a reason they didn't do that. There are two main aspects of ministry that you see coming out here in Acts chapter 6 where they're told in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you. Right, let's start back in verse 2. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We have a responsibility. Yeah, there are 12 of us. That's good. That's a good big number. But if you think about the size of the congregation that had grown up where 3,000 come to Christ on the first day, they've got a good-sized congregation and there are only 12 of them and their, their ministry they've been entrusted with is to preach the word. This is what they have been sent to do. Go and make disciples and, and teach them to observe all that Jesus had taught them. And so... Why didn't the the apostles then just say, you know what? We're supposed to preach the word. So that's all we're going to do. That's all that needs to be done. We're not going to worry about feeding people anymore. We're not going to worry about taking care of the poor. We're not going to worry about serving tables. We're just going to preach the word. We're just going to do that. Why didn't they do that? Well, the reason is because both aspects of ministry are vital. Both are crucial. The preaching of the word is obviously vital, and that's what they've been called to. But likewise, taking care of the poor and feeding those who don't have another way to be fed is also a vital aspect of ministry. And so the apostles, in a stroke of genius, rather than saying, yeah, we'll take a few of our guys and they'll stop preaching the word, and instead we'll have them go serve tables, let's appoint new people to take care of tables. That way, we will have the widows taken care of, and it will be done so in an excellent way, in a God-honoring way that takes care of everyone who needs to be taken care of, and at the same time, the Word of God will continue to be proclaimed. And so they appoint a new group. They raise up new people for this purpose. So the result is, they say in verse 3, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, that is, to the serving of the table. So we'll appoint these men. They will take care of the tables, take care of feeding the widows, taking care of the practical needs. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That way, both aspects of ministry, which are vital, which are crucial, will continue. And so this is what ends up happening in the early church. And you can see that the, the role of the deacons was not a secondary thought, was not a, oh, yeah, we should probably also do something about It was a vital part of their ministry, and so they appoint deacons to that purpose. And we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, thirdly, that it's an honorable 
ministry of the church. Paul will say in 1 Timothy 3, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. That there's, it's, it's an honorable position. It's not just a, an, oh yeah, thanks for taking care of that thing that no one else really cares about. It's an honored position. And they are honored for being in that position. And if you think in Acts chapter 6, at who was appointed, who was it? Verse 5, it pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen, a man full of the Spirit and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and others. Well, look at Acts chapter 7. What's the head of your Acts chapter 7? Stephen's speech. Stephen is this great man who's filled with the Spirit. He's obviously a preacher. If you've read chapter 7, it's an amazing sermon. He's a gifted, Spirit-filled preacher who even does wonders. He's, a, he's, he's quite a man. He ends up being actually the first Christian martyr. And so no one who has read Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8 would ever think that, that Stephen was just a nobody. He's Stephen. He's, a, he's an honorable, admirable Christian man and minister. He's a preacher of the gospel, a powerful preacher of the gospel. And he's the first Christian martyr. And so what are deacons? Well, they hold a foundational and basic ministry in the church, one that's essential for the healthy functioning of the church and one that we hold at Parkside in the highest respect. So that's, that's what deacons are. But secondly, what do they do? What does a deacon do? And the deacons are thinking nearly everything <laughs> at one time or another. But first of all, they serve the body. They serve the body. As we read through Acts chapter 6, we didn't see the word deacon in there. But the word deacon comes from a Greek word that means a servant. And so I attach this passage to the deacons because what was their ministry to serve tables verse 2 they were the servants they were they were there to meet these practical needs they were serving the body that the body is not only served by the preaching of god's word it's definitely served by the preaching of god's word we looked last week at the elders and we talked about all these character qualities and what is the one skill it's the the ability to teach so the role of the Word of God is enormous. It can't be overstated how enormous the role of the Word of God is in the, in the church, but that is not the only ministry. That's not the only way the body is served. The body is also served in these very, very practical ways, like in the New Testament with the serving of tables, the meeting of these kinds of needs. So they serve the body, first of all, and secondly, they meet practical needs. The organization of the church is such that you have a decision-making body. And that's the, that's the elders, the council of the elders. They're the decision-makers for the church. They're the shepherds in that regard. They're the ones who set the tone, give direction, uh, things like that. Uh, and, and deacons are not a part of that decision-making body, though there are churches, there are denominations that have deacons as their decision-makers. So in some places, like in, in a lot of Baptist churches, um, that's, uh, that's what a deacon is, is they're actually a member of the, the deciding board, the leadership board of the church. That's a deacon. 
But the way we see it, the way we read the Bible is that that group there is called the elders. They have different responsibilities. And you have deacons who are the ones who are not the decision makers of the church, but they are meeting practical needs within the church. They're the ones who are serving the tables. So, for example, they might see to the physical needs of the poor, as we had in Acts chapter 6. That's a very practical and vital ministry that is given to the deacons. In our day and age, we've got church property. And so deacons look after the church property. They take care of the physical plant. They take care of the, uh, uh, the grounds and things like that. The sound room is the responsibility of the deacons. There's a deacon who is in charge of that. You, you wouldn't want, um, you know, me in charge of the sound room, okay? Or the grounds, frankly. <laughs> um, we have gifted people who are committed to that, who do an excellent job in that ministry of taking care of those things. In the past, we've had deacons who look after the finances of the church. And, uh, and that's an excellent function for a deacon. That's very practical. I don't, I don't much care to think about money. And we've had, we've had gifted people who think well about money who have been in that role looking after the church finances. In the past, we've had, we've had deacons who've been involved with the, the benevolence ministry. Benevolence, when someone comes to the church, either from, usually from within the church or maybe from without and asking about uh, needs. They've got financial needs. They come on hardship, etc. That's an excellent, excellent practical need. We have deacons who have built uh, ramps for, for wheelchairs. That's an excellent need that we have. So the deacons are serving the body by meeting practical needs. And, and it might be the, the physical building that we call the church sometimes or the church property where uh, we need to look out for the things that go here and change light bulbs and, and, and uh, make sure that things work excellently here. But also in your own lives, in the private lives or the personal lives of the members of the body. They have needs, and deacons are often the ones who will go and meet those physical and practical needs. So they're serving the body by meeting practical needs, and ultimately what they're doing is they're serving the Lord. This is a ministry that they get to serve Christ by serving the body of Christ. This is uh, what the ultimate goal is. They love us, and they serve us, because they love Christ more and they want more to serve him. And so they're serving the Lord in this capacity. And obviously, Jesus had a very high view of, of service. You know, often it's tempting for us to think, you know, who's, who's the most important in a, in a business? Well, it's probably the CEO. And uh, who's most important in this context? Well, it's probably the person at the top or the group at the top. And, of course, you need a CEO and you need a a decision-making group, etc. But you must have, you must have those who take care of the practical needs, who meet those sorts of needs. And so these deacons are serving the Lord. And that's what Jesus had in mind when he said in Matthew 22, the greatest among you shall be your servant. It's an honored position. It's a Christian position. He said in Mark 9, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so a deacon is not just someone who does stuff, someone who takes the jobs that no one else will do or or, uh, just someone who works behind the scenes. This is someone who is serving us, providing for our needs. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a position of, of dire financial need or maybe some other kind of physical need like these, like these widows in Acts chapter 6 who, who didn't have a way to earn their next meal. They didn't have a savings to rely upon. They didn't have family to take care of them. All they had was their church family. I don't know if you've been in a situation like that where you were that dependent upon the body of Christ. But when you are in that situation, that dependent upon the body of Christ, how much do you need that body to meet those needs? And so the deacons are those who step in and meet those kinds of needs. And so what does a deacon do? Well, he serves the Lord by meeting the various physical needs of the church. Well, you might be asking yourself, okay, they're very practical people. A deacon is someone who is meeting these practical needs, these physical needs in these, in these uh, different areas, not really a decision maker in the church and, and uh, probably doesn't have a teaching role and things like that. So who could, you know, who could up for this kind of job? Maybe, you know, anybody who's got skills. You know, if you know how to fix something or do something, maybe you're qualified for that. Well, that raises the question, what are they like? What are deacons like? So we turn... Back to First Timothy chapter 3. What are deacons like? We saw last week these great qualifications for overseers, and we read through that, and, and the elders felt the weight of that. We felt the, uh, the, the, the high standard that we read here of what it means to be an overseer. And then when I read through the qualifications for deacons, you'll notice they were almost the same. It's not like it's not like there was a, you know, a lesser qualification, a lower standard. You know, the bar is lower to be a deacon, much, much higher to be an elder. That's not the way it is in the New Testament. A deacon is not a, a junior elder. A deacon is not an elder in training. A deacon is its own position with its own qualifications, and those qualifications are nearly the same as those of the elders. And so it's a, you can see there's a weight to it. It's not just we need somebody to clean up this mess or do that thing. These are people that the Spirit of God has been at work in their hearts, changing their lives over a period of time already. That they're maturing, that they're growing, that they're obedient Christians. The grace of God has already worked in them, is working in them. And so the elder and the deacon are much the same kind of person. There's, there's the one exception, and that's that the overseer is required to be able to teach. And that's primarily the role of the overseer is in leading by teaching. And the deacon doesn't have that responsibility. But when we read about Stephen, he can obviously teach. He had that gifting. He was a great preacher. If you read Acts chapter 7, you'll read a great sermon. So they're almost the same person. They're the very similar kind of qualifications. And so in Acts chapter 6, the apostles had just said to pick men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom, right? That was a pretty, pretty brief outline of what these people are supposed to be like. And Paul is going to develop that more fully here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He says, first of all, the apostles did back in, in uh, chapter 6, to be of good repute, to be of good repute. Now, what does that mean? 
to be of good repute. Well, if, if you think about it, when we bring someone on as a deacon or we bring someone on as an elder, one of the things we do is send out a letter to the congregation saying, hey, we're considering so-and-so for this position um, because of these reasons. What do you think? And we give a couple of weeks for feedback so that if you know, you know, you're his next door neighbor and you know he kicks the dog every morning, right? That's the kind of thing you'll tell us. And we'll talk to him about his dog kicking. Okay, he shouldn't do that, right? But likewise, not just within the church, but, but also in the community. If you, if you own a business, if you, if you work someplace, if you have some sphere within the community, that's an area that we might also send letters and say, uh, we're from Parkside Bible Fellowship and we're considering this person for a leadership position in our church for this important role. And these, these character qualities must, be, must belong to this person before uh, we can accept him into this kind of role. What do you think? Mr. Person from, the, un, from the, the unbelieving community, maybe? Someone from out there? Well, if, if your coworkers see the real side of you and they know that you do far worse than kick your dog in the morning, they know what you're really like when you get frustrated, when you get angry, when you get stressed, they know what you're really like and what you do on Saturday nights, not just Sunday mornings, right? They know about you in a different perspective than we do and then if we put you into position as deacons or into a position as elders, what's that person's opinion? What's that circle's opinion going to be of the church? It lowers the estimation of the church in general. Yeah, you, you, you hear what Parkside did? They took so-and-so and, and made them a deacon or ma- made them an elder. And, man, you should see what this guy says at work. You should see what he's like. And, man, you know, if, if Christians want to put someone like that in leadership, um, that's why I don't want to be one. Right. So it, the, 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 the standard that's given by the apostles in the New Testament is you must be of good repute so that when you go and ask co-workers, your mailman, the, you know, someone who works for you, someone you work for, connections, the people in your neighborhood, they will find the same message throughout. And what is that message? What's that person like? Well, he's, according to Paul in 1 Timothy 3, he's dignified. A dignified person. It means to have a proper behavior, to possess decorum of manner, that you're, that you're not, you know, always acting crazy or something, that you're not flying off the handle, that you're not um, excessively silly or, or something like that, that you, you, you behave in a proper adult manner, that you can stand up and have a conversation with someone who's chewing you out and do so in a good way, that you can, that you can discipline someone at business, you know, at your business or, or whatever without chewing them out. It's decorum that you behave yourself as an adult, as a responsible adult having proper behavior. So you've got to be dignified. Secondly, someone who's not double-tongued. I think we all know what that means, to be honest, to speak the truth. When your yes is yes, yeah, I'll do that. And then you do that thing. Not being double-tongued, not being deceptive in behavior, not being deceptive in speech, right? If, if you, you know, are, are uh, uh, 
13 minutes late for work every day and you punch in that, you know, earlier and, and you take an extra long lunch and you, you know, are you, are you fudging on those sorts of things? This kind of person, the person that, that we want dealing with our widows, the person that we want dealing with the finances of the church or, or with the operations of the church or how things go in, uh, when someone needs help in the community. We want someone who's upright, someone who's honest, someone whose opinion we can trust. Someone who, when they say, I spent $42 on that repair, we know they spent $42 on that repair. And they didn't pocket some extra and say, oh, I spent 60 Right? There's a, there's, a, there's a responsibility that we have that the deacons have. And then Paul will say that they must be tested and they must be blameless when he's tested. There's a time when uh, we're thinking about ministry in the church. If we were sitting here today to talk about, hey, what would you like to do in the church? What kind of ministry would you like to do? Would you like to leave a Bible study? Would you like to get involved in serving this way? Would you like to, uh, to you know, contemplate becoming an elder, becoming a deacon? Would you like to? Well, it's, it's easy for us to sit around and think, oh, that'd be really interesting. And uh, I'd love to do that. And it's another thing to sign up and say, okay, now you're a deacon. So when the water pipes break, guess who we're calling? It's going to be you. And, and when uh, we've got a difficult situation that happens at, a, at an odd time, we're going to be calling you, right? And you may think that uh, what you thought was a great way to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ while we were all sitting here with the heater going and the lights on, that suddenly late at night or when you're having to sacrifice might be a little bit more difficult, right? And so this... Uh, this time of testing is like a probationary period where you may decide, you know what? That's not for me. Stop calling me about the, the leaky faucet at the church or whatever. And, and you may want to say, you know, I'll serve when I can, but I, I don't want to be a deacon. I don't want to be in that official capacity. Or it may be likewise the other way around that we look and we see, you know what? You're a great servant, but for some reason, we don't think you're, you know, um, that the deacon role is for you. There's a, there's a time of probation where we can get to know one another and you can get to know that position. The apostle said, this person you appoint must be of good repute. Must be of good repute. Secondly, must be full of the Spirit. Paul will say in 1 Timothy 3, he must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. He's not a double-minded man. As James has it, he's not spiritual on one side and carnal on the other side. This isn't someone who's a brand new Christian and still trying to figure out this Christianity thing. What's the gospel again? I can't really... No, that's not the person. This is a person who's mature, who's growing. This is someone who, who holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, knows Christ, whose life has been changed and governed by Christ. This is someone who's... who's uh, Evidence of God's grace in their life. This is a deacon, someone who's mature and maturing, someone who knows the gospel, believes the gospel, and has been shaped by the gospel. And then finally, this person must be full of wisdom. Paul's list is a little fuller. He says, not addicted to much wine, he's not given to excess. He doesn't just follow his appetites. 
He's got self-discipline. He's got self-control. He's not a drunkard. He's not enslaved to wine. He's not greedy for dishonest gain. And you can, you can see why that would be applicable when you've got someone who's dealing with perhaps the finances of the church. You have to know what their character is like in regard to money. He must be the husband of one wife, a one-woman man, faithful to his wife. And if he's not yet married, faithful to his future wife. In other words, he needs to be chaste and not flirtatious with women and not pursue any kind of improper relationship with the opposite sex. And then finally, managing children and household well. If the deacon is going to be so busy looking after other people's concerns that he, that he doesn't look after his own concerns at home, then he, he needs not to be in the deacon role because the way he manages his household is going to reflect in the way he does his ministry at the church. So here's what deacons are like. This is, this is kind of the office that, uh, that we have, the function that we have of deacons. And if you've ever been in a position, I'm, I'm tempted to have us raise hands, but I'm not going to. If you've been in a situation where you have been in a, in a place where you need to be taken care of, where, where there's some need that you have that you can't meet, you can't afford it, you don't have the ability, you don't have the strength, that's when the body of Christ steps in and the deacons are particularly good at that. And you know the value of deacons. If, if you appreciate the temperature in the room right now, thank a deacon. If you appreciate the fact that there are, you know, light bulbs that work. If you appreciate the fact that our parking lot is excellent. The physical things that we need to take care of in our building, in our plant, that's the responsibility of the deacons, and they do an excellent job. They take care of that. And many of you have been served personally in your own lives. Maybe you've had that wheelchair ramp built. Maybe you've had that need met. These are vital and crucial roles that deacons have. And so my reason for wanting to talk about deacons today is not only to explain the position, though I think it's important. And sometimes there's confusion because some churches have deacons as their deciding board, as their leader, uh, leading board, and that's, that's not the way we read the Bible. But they have a, a powerful function that is often behind the scenes, almost always behind the scenes, taking care of things that, uh, that you and I don't even notice. And, and you, know, you know how it is in your own home or your own business or your own place that, that when, when you do your job very well, no one notices. But that time when you're sick and you didn't get that thing done, that's when people notice, hey, why is the, you know, something's broken or something's wrong or something's off. What I want to draw our attention to is the fact that we have deacons who are keeping things running behind the scenes all the time. And the fact that we never notice it means they're doing an excellent job. So we appreciate our deacons. We appreciate them. And I know I can speak for all of the elders how blessed we have been because we tend to think in different terms, not nearly as practically. And if we were all of the leadership the church had, if we were, you know, if there weren't for deacons, then you would see light bulbs out and you would see, uh, the, you know, the faucets dripping and you would see things out of whack because the elders tend to think in different ways. 
And deacons meet those needs. Deacons step in. And so, just a couple of points of application as we're closing here. First of all, I want to draw our attention to this honorable position of deacon. That those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, Paul would say. That, that there's, this is a respected position. This is an, an essential position in the church. It's so essential that we almost never think about it. So we want to honor our deacons. It's a, it's a, a, a very respectable ministry that goes unthanked and unnoticed all too often. But there's another point of application for us. Deacons are not the only ones to serve the body and other Christians in practical ways. Actually, it's the call for all Christians to serve one another, even in practical ways. That, that we meet the needs of those around us. When we hear about a need, when we see a lack, when we see that someone's struggling and they can't do that on their own because they're, they're too weak or they don't have the money for that or they're not sure how to go about it or whatever, we get to serve each other in that way. We don't sit back and, and wait for the deacons to come up with it. We don't sit back and wait for the elders to, to observe it and then task a deacon to go take care of it. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all members of the same body. Some of us are the kneecap and some of us are the elbow. And, but we are to step in and meet those needs where we see them. So we don't, we don't just have to, you know, see a need and call a deacon. That's not how that has to work. We get to meet needs ourselves. Actually, it's part of our commitment to one another as Christians to step in in those ways and meet each other's needs. So it's not the deacons only who meet those needs. All Christians have a certain relationship of responsibility and care for others in the church body. You can meet that need. You can step in. Now, you may not be able to meet that need fully, and you may have to take a brother or sister along with you, or you may have to say, this, this need is too great. I can't do it. We can't do it, and we need help from the deacons. We need more organized help. And that would be a very good and legitimate use of, uh, of the deacon ministry. There's also another point of application for us. If you've been reading the news, and I don't know anyone who's entirely been able to get away from it, these are uncertain times. And we were having a budget discussion just recently as elders about um, you know, funds and how much, you know, looking at the budget for 2021 and, and what should we allot to this and that. And, and we thought it's possible, it's likely in these uncertain times that we may need to set aside extra in the budget to take care of needs of people whose jobs are going to be affected by the, the COVID lockdowns or maybe by the illness itself, that we might find people. I think it's likely that we will find people even in our own congregation who are in a position because of the situation we find ourselves in where they're going to need help, perhaps more than they needed in 2020 or in 2019 or have ever needed in their lives. And so we, in these uncertain times as a church, need to be watching out for each other. We need to be caring for each other and meeting those needs. God has blessed Parkside enormously. God has blessed many of us enormously, financially and in other ways. This is an opportunity for us to use those gifts and use those blessings to minister to the body of Christ around us. And so let's, let's you and I keep our eyes open for those opportunities, not, not just to send someone to the benevolence ministry of the church, but to step in and meet a need ourselves. 
Maybe you're, maybe you're sitting there after all this discussion and you're thinking about um, the possibility, you know, that maybe you w- would be a good deacon. That maybe, you know, this, this description, these qualifications, yeah, you can see where, you know, you're obviously not a perfect person, but God has worked in your life in these areas. He's matured you. He's blessed you. He has graced you in these areas. And you love to serve. You have a heart to serve the body. You have a heart to serve the church. You have a heart to serve the Lord in this way. Well, if, if that's you and you're, and you're thinking this, this might be a, a ministry for me, come and, come and talk to the elders and, and uh, ask us about it. And we'll probably uh, want to hear from you and, and direct you to a deacon to say, here's what it's really like in the trenches doing this kind of ministry. And so if that's you, if you think that's a, a, uh, a good ministry for you, then come, come talk to us. I want to conclude just with this thought, that God has given gifts to the church. And you can think in your own life and you can think in the life of the church and you can think of uh, many of the gifts that he's given us, our families, the, the people around us that love us, our circle, our church, the fact that he's given us his own son for us, to redeem us, to make us his own children. And then having done so, he didn't leave us on our own. He stuck us together as a body. And even then, he didn't leave us alone. But he gave us deacons to care for us, to meet needs, to make sure that things work that I don't even think about. It literally doesn't occur to me the majority of the things that our deacons take care of week after week. And so I'm grateful for our deacons. I'm grateful for the blessing that deacons are. And, and I want our deacons to know that, for one thing. And I want you to know that. And I want us to raise our awareness of how God has designed the church, that this is not McDonald's where everyone's getting paid, nor is it McDonald's where you can just come and order your fries and go somewhere else because you like the burger somewhere else, but your fries from McDonald's. This is our family that God has called us to be a part of. We are members of one another. And we don't look alike and we don't function alike, just like the kneecap and the elbow don't function exactly the same. But God has put us together. He's built us into a body. And as a body, I'm concerned when I scrape my knee and I take care of it. I'm concerned when I'm hungry and so I eat food. I take care of my body. My body takes care of itself. And that's the way God has designed us so that we, when we're ministering the way we ought to be, we actually build the church up so that it gets stronger, so that it gets better, so that it gets more and more dependent upon Christ and representative of Christ in this world. That's what we're called to. That's what a church is. It's a family. Part of raising our own children most of our big kids are away at camp right now so I can tell stories on them and they'll never hear about it, I'm sure. It's hard to, we have, you know, six kids in the family and so that's a lot of dishes, right? And so, you know, there can be this desire that we have that, you know, why don't we institute a new rule that everyone does their own dishes, right? And that's because the person who does dinner dishes gets a pile of dinner dishes, right? And they'd rather just go wash their own little bowl and be done, Right. And part of the reason we don't institute that rule is because we want our kids to understand the thing that's hard for us to learn sometimes. The 
Part of being a member of a family is that you serve each other. You wash other people's dishes. Sometimes they'll wash yours too. But we take care of one another. We serve one another. And that's the kind of family that God has called us to as the body of Christ, that, that he has redeemed us in Christ and, and, and given us the righteousness of Christ and forgiveness before him and right relationship with God. And then he didn't just leave us alone. He put us in a family of brothers and sisters in Christ to care for one another, to have that kind of commitment to one another, where even if you're having to wash someone else's dishes, that's okay because you love that person. That person is your brother, your sister in Christ. And that's what our deacons do week in and week out. They serve us in this way. I have been blessed by the ministry of our deacons. And I am challenged to remember that the ministry that they do is not only their ministry, but it's mine as well. And it's yours as well. That God has saved us into this one family with that kind of commitment, that kind of sacrifice, even when the sacrifice is a deep sacrifice to serve one another. These people in the New Testament were selling property so that they could have money to give to the apostles to distribute to their poor. That's commitment. That's commitment. And that's to be our level of commitment to one another, that we as the body of Christ are put in this world which can be very hostile against us. But we are put here with one another, with all of our needs, with all of our lacks, with all of our foibles, with all of our gifts. He has put us together to minister to one another. And what did Jesus say about when the body is ministering to one another as it ought? Not only does it build the body up, so that it's growing, so that it's maturing. But he said to his disciples, this is my commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And as you know, love is not only an affection. Love shows itself. So when we love one another that way, when we care for one another that way, not only are we cared for, but God is glorified in that others can look at us and see that we are indeed his disciples. So that's my desire for my own heart, that I would look for opportunities to serve other people, that I would be that kind of committed, that I would love you in that way, to serve you and bless you in the ways that you need even in very practical ways. And that in doing so, God would be glorified in our church. This is how he's designed his body to work. His redemption to be shown in the world around us. So again, thank you to our deacons. I'm grateful and I have been ministered to and I am instructed by their service. And we all ought to be instructed by that service uh, to one another, that, that, that deacon-type ministry to one another, that we would even be willing to lay down our lives for one another. Let's pray together. Father, you have given us deacons, not, 
not just so we can honor them. We, we do honor them. But you've given us deacons to serve the body, to be the hands and feet in very, very practical ways to minister to the body, to minister your care and your concern to the body of Christ. I thank you for that. And I, I desire to be more of a servant myself. And I desire for Parkside to, to see the value in serving one another in that way. That we get to, we, we have the privilege, the opportunity to serve as the hands and feet of Christ in ministry to one another. And in so doing, we build up one another, we build up the entire church, and it grows and is strengthened. And the world around us sees indeed that we are your disciples. Father, I thank you for your design for the church, with the way you have put the church together with elders and deacons and members and how that all functions together. I pray that your spirit would be at work in this congregation, that as we grow and learn from the teaching of your word, as we begin to value more and more what you value in your word, as we teach that and preach that in this congregation, I pray also that it would be coupled with and show itself in a practical care and concern to meet the needs of one another. Father, I think of Jesus' words where he talked about seeing him naked and clothing him and seeing him hungry and feeding him. We have that opportunity with one another. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your church that you care for us in these ways. It's humbling to us. Father, I pray that we would go forth and that indeed we would look for opportunity to serve each other, that we would care to do so, that we would look, uh, look for those kinds of chances and go meet those needs especially in our uncertain times. Father, we uh, pray that you would use your church in this way. Father, we do ask that you would be merciful to our nation as we don't deserve it. We deserve uh, harsh treatment and judgment for so many of the uh, evils that we have done, we have pursued as a nation. But we ask that you would be merciful one more time. We ask that you would be gracious to us and, and remember mercy. Father, we trust you. We trust you and we look to you. Send us forth in the power of the Holy Spirit to serve one another, to proclaim the gospel, and to demonstrate practically the gospel in each other's lives, even as we serve each other, giving of ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you about evening service tonight where uh, we will be covering the entire Old Testament in 30 minutes. So you, you laugh like I can't do it. I, it's a personal challenge. I don't know. We're going to try to. And if you don't think I can do it, you should show up and see if it's, if it's even possible. That'll be tonight at 6 o'clock. And then also a reminder about the uh, State of the Church meeting on January 31st at 530. Look forward to uh, seeing you all there. And as we are leaving, these words from Paul, 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. There's going to be a family up here to pray with you.